In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get started, I wanted to make another announcement for... The first cruise that I will be doing with Commercial Travel, which is March 9th through the 12th, you can sign up by calling Commercial Travel now at any of their two numbers, but hope you'll join uh, us there. And their numbers are 800-800-1991 or 818-883-8100. So that's going to be from March 9th to the 12th with Carnival Cruises leaving from Long Beach and going to Ensenada, Mexico. Uh, should be a lot of fun. We're going to have some fun and entertainment. They'll be on board with us as well as other professionals who will share um, some of their expertise with you guys. And I'll have a few seminars there as well. So hope you'll really join us then March 9th through the 12th. Should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Um, before I do the book of the week for this past week, I wanted to announce the book for this week. It is Elements of Taste, Understanding What We Like and Why by Benjamin Errett. Uh, Elements of Taste, Understanding What We Like and Why. I've not read the book, but saw it at the bookstore. seemed interesting, so picked it up. So hope you'll join me reading that, and I'll be discussing that next week. Um, next week, though, Monday will be New Year's Day, so I won't have a live show, so it'll be next Wednesday. All right, so the book from this past week was Eric Fromm's book, Man for Himself. And anyone who's listened to me talk about his other works knows that he know that he's my probably favorite writer or thinker um, of all time, and I really enjoy his work, and I'm glad I read this book, which was actually recommended by Sahand, who's a friend and a listener, so thank you for that recommendation. Uh, But it was a very good book, a very deep book, so in one segment, it's going to be very difficult to really talk about everything he covers in this book. But as the title suggests, Man for Himself, an Inquiry into the Psychology of Ethics. Really that man we are, or and of course man means people, men and women, we are to think and to live for ourselves. We have to choose what is right, what is wrong, what we want to do and not want to do with our lives. Uh, that we cannot, as many of us like to do and want to do, submit to some authority to make the decisions for us, to tell us what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and what's right or wrong. Uh, he talks about uh, irrational authority versus rational authority. And in irrational authority, which is what, how most of the world has been dominated, we don't have a choice as to what we do. We submit to some authority who is given some power, whether it's religious or political, that no matter what they say is the truth, is right. And we have no 
ability or even actually to in any way question what they say is not okay. So he doesn't say that we should have anarchy, but he talks about rational authority, which means that there are people who are given some powers in a certain or given a certain position, and that is because of their increased skill or knowledge or abilities in a certain field or area, and we give them that power. But at the same time, even though they have that position, it doesn't make any one person better or more important than anyone else. That's still everyone is equal. Everyone has equal rights, is treated with the same amount of respect. We don't put anyone above anyone else. So that discussion is in the beginning of the book, which I thought was very interesting. But he also talks about the different types of personalities or even happiness. And I talk a lot about happiness on this show, sometimes talking about how I think it's overrated that people focus too much on happiness, especially depending on how you uh, describe or define the word happiness. But he talks about happiness as the unfolding of human potential potentialities and possibilities, meaning that the healthiest person, as he puts it, is the productive character, one who produces, who contributes to society, who gives of himself or herself, who gives love, who in some ways shows their own strength through giving. Uh, in The Art of Loving, Eric Fromm talks about giving versus receiving and how we often talk about giving being better than receiving because it's somehow more painful and that makes it more noble. So I'm a better person because I choose to give rather than receive. But he says that's not why giving is better than receiving. Giving is better than receiving because through giving, I recognize and get to express my own strength, my own capabilities and abilities, my own vitality. So in that sense, to give is better to receive. And as he discusses in this book, the happy person isn't one who has lots of just pleasure and feels good. We can call that, as he describes, the hedonistic philosophy of happiness, that pleasure means happiness. Feeling good in the moment is happiness. But what we see is that people who just seek instant pleasure aren't necessarily happy or live a good life. If you have lots of drugs, you might feel very good in those moments, but you're not going to live a fulfilled life. If you do what's easier in every moment, it might feel good then, but it's not going to live to a fulfilling life. So when we look at a happy life in the long term, as he describes it, or really to me it's more the meaningful life that he's describing. That's one where we feel that we are contributing in some way. We are being productive. And he describes the productive character as the ultimate achievement that we should be searching for, that we should strive towards to be as productive as possible. Which to me, again, is a very important distinction to make. Because in today's day and age, we see that people are very concerned and consumed with receiving or getting. Um, if we look at what people yearn for or what people strive for, it's to get attention, to get fame, to make money, to take and to receive. And we think that's going to make us happy. Once I have a certain number of amount of money, I'll feel happy or a certain number of likes on Instagram or followers, I'm going to feel good about myself or I reach some status or fame, I'm going to be happy. But what we see is that's not what actually makes people happy. We have the recipe wrong. People think they're supposed to take. But what makes a person happy is to give, to give of himself or herself, 
to build their own strength and vitality and then to express that amongst other people. So that is what we should be striving towards. He also discusses the idea of relative uh, versus absolute ethics. And it's interesting discussion. I won't be able to outline all of it, but there's this idea that he talks about people say, well, ethics is not something we can really comment about. It's all relative. That in a way, it's almost like so subjective that it's a matter of taste or preference. But as he describes in the book, how could we say that slavery and giving people freedom are equal or are just different tastes or different preferences? Isn't there somewhere where we can draw the line and say, there is something that is better, that is more right, that is more correct, and not just say it's based on culture or preference that we choose what is right or wrong. And I think that's important, that we don't leave morality or ethics out of the realm of discussion or conversation, that we can talk about it. And he even mentions when he says absolute uh, ethics, he doesn't mean that we reach a right and wrong that will never change. He makes the connection to science, where science is searching for a quote-unquote absolute truth, but it doesn't mean it's ever going to actually get there or that we ever think we're there. It just is trying to keep improving upon itself to get to a better and better place. It's never done. And with ethics, we can do the same thing, how to live the good life or what does it mean to live good or bad. I also think it's worth noting the idea of culture when it comes to ethics. Sometimes people think if something is part of a culture, we shouldn't challenge it or question it. And I don't agree with that at all. Um, Because oftentimes, yes, there's reasons why those things became part of the culture. But one, the environmental context might not be there anymore. And two, it might actually be harming the individuals of that culture. Uh, Anyone who's listened to my father over the years, one of the things he's done is challenge the cultural taboos and traditions uh, of the Persian culture and shown that they can be very hurtful and harmful to us and we shouldn't continue living in those ways just because it's the way it used to be or the way we do things or it's culturally how we think things are right or wrong. We have to have the ability and even it's our responsibility to question and challenge the way we do things and what we take as a given for right and wrong. And to really see, is it hurting us or is it helping us? Is it contributing to the well-being of all the members of society or is it hurting members of our society? And to take that very seriously. Um, In particular, as Eric Fromm talks about in this book, society should be created in a way, and a good society is one where it allows for people to be good. And by good, he means to become their best and truest self, to show their full potentialities to the fullest extent, to become themselves in the best degree. So it's our responsibility, and we should be continually striving to create a culture that allows for people to be the best of who they are and who they can be. And we have to take that very, very seriously. But on a final note, this title, Man for Himself, to me is very important and something for us to think about. That you are responsible for your own life. You have the conscience that has to decide what's right or wrong. No one else can tell you what's right or wrong. Can we discuss with one another to try to understand What's good, what's bad, what's right or wrong? Absolutely. That's why we have discussions and discourse and even books like this to continue that conversation. But in the end, it's up to each and every one of us 
to make that decision. And we should take that seriously. And all too often we see that people want to give that authority to someone else. Let's find someone who we say is perfect and who knows everything and just take their truth as the truth at whatever they say, whether it's religion or a guru or anyone else. We just take their truth as the absolute truth and say, do the thinking for me. But that doesn't work. At the end of the day, we all have to think for ourselves. We all have to figure things out on our own and live the life that is true to us. I can't tell you what your true life is and you can't tell me what my true life is. That's something that we are asked to figure out on our own. And that's really what we need to do. And speaking of living our true self, as Eric Fromm describes, unfortunately, what we're seeing in today's day and age, and he's talking about um, 50, 60 years ago, but we still see it today, that people are turning into commodities. That rather than being a full human being, I am a product. And look at my personality and how good it is and how attractive it is to other people. That's the only thing that matters. Rather than really looking at each person and looking at myself as a full human being who doesn't have to just become something that other people like or will approve of, but need to become myself. Again, man for himself must choose what's right and wrong and must choose the life that is right for them to live. So if you haven't read this book already, I really hope you will, because to me, Eric Fromm is one of the greatest thinkers who very uh, clearly understood the human condition and who we are and who, well, how we struggle and who we should strive to be. And this book is a great contribution looking at ethics and morality and what's right or wrong and how do we even figure that out. And again, at the end of the day, figuring out that that's something we need to do for ourselves, but that we should continue the conversation and not just assume that morality is something that each person um, can't think of with each other, but has to just think of on their own. So hopefully we'll continue that conversation about morality and ethics. And I hope you'll read that book. And again, the book for next week is Elements of Taste, Understanding What We Like and Why by Benjamin Arrett. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadalakwi, studio number 310-441-0555. Uh, you know, it's almost the new year. This is actually my last show of 2017. And I know that people often, uh, for New Year's Day, make their resolutions and they make their goals. And so I wanted to talk a bit about that. I basically take advantage of this every time it is the new year to talk about goals because I think it is something very important and something that even I value for myself. Uh, for example, one of my goals at the end of 2016 that uh, was kind of something I wasn't sure how I was going to go was to read a book a week this year. And so far I've done that. And so the book I just talked about, Eric Fromm's book, Man for Himself, was the 51st book I read. And then the next one's going to be the 52nd book. So I have done a book a week and it feels pretty good to have accomplished that goal or I guess I'm not quite there but almost there and um, 
it feels good to accomplish school, but also it really had meaning for me. I, I got to learn a lot this year from reading the books, and I'm very, very happy that I did that. Uh, so I'm a firm believer that setting goals can be really important and can even make you excited about life or get you more excited about your own life when you're striving towards something. It really actually, I think we should all be striving towards several goals at any given time in different aspects and areas of your life, pushing yourself and challenging yourself. Uh, I actually also prefer calling them New Year's goals than resolutions. I almost feel like resolutions sound like things you're going to break or that are just kind of just to make them. So people make these New Year's resolutions and they don't follow them usually. So I prefer New Year's goals than resolutions. So it's important to set goals and also to make sure we set goals that uh, are more likely to succeed than to fail. And that's some of what I'll talk about today. So I've talked about this acronym uh, to set SMART goals, and I'll do that again today because I think it is important because the way we set our goals can be very uh, significant in making sure we either reach them or don't because not all goals are created equal. So SMART is an acronym, S-M-A-R-T. And the first two are S and M are specific and measurable. And so that means that you want to make sure your goal is very clear in what you're saying. Because if you say my goal is to, for example, if I said to read more this year, it would have been unclear as to what that means more, or am I accomplishing my goal or not? Or if someone says my goal is to get in shape this year, it sounds like a good goal, but because it's not specific and measurable, it's going to be hard for you to know, am I actually making progress on my goal? Have I achieved my goal? Am I getting there? It's hard to know. So for me, the specific and measurable was one book a week. It's very specific. It's very measurable. I even actually wrote down uh, a, a range of pages because a book even, you know, you could read a 10 page book and say it was a book or a page can be 2000 pages long. And that probably would be impossible for me to do or near impossible to do in a week. So I made it as specific as I could and measurable. So you want to make sure if you want to, let's say, get in shape, what does that mean? I want to lose 20 pounds by, uh, let's say, a certain date, June 1st. You can do that. Make it very specific and measurable. Um, and, and the last one, actually, T gets into that as well. Um, the next one is A, which means attainable. Now, this is an important part because you have to make a goal where, on the one hand, it's not going to be impossible to achieve. But on the other hand, it shouldn't be too easy. So, for example, if you say, uh, I want to read one book this year, you're probably not going to get that excited about achieving it. But on the other hand, if you say I'm going to read 10 books a week, it's probably unattainable and you're going to give up soon enough or really early. Or to use the weight analogy again, if you say I want to lose one pound in 2018, you're not going to really get too excited about that, achieving it or not. Or, But if you say I want to lose 50 pounds in the first month, that's one not healthy but also not attainable, and you're likely going to not get there and give up. So you have to make your goal something that's going to be a challenge, something that's going to be difficult, that's going to need you to push yourself, but that also you can achieve. So that's where you want to find that sweet spot of challenging yet attainable. And that's where the A is in the SMART goal. So think about something like that. What's something I can achieve, but that won't be easy? Something that if I do achieve it, I'm going to be excited that I was able to do that. And that brings us to R, which is relevant, meaning that you want to pick a goal that's important for you. I can't tell you 
what your goals should be because I don't know what would mean something to you. What's an area in your life you want to improve on? What's something you want to do? It has to be relevant to each person. So this is a very personal thing that you reflect on. And again, it should be something that if you achieve will mean something to you. Um, reading 52 books this year has meant a lot to me. And I'm very happy and even proud of myself for, for doing that. And it feels very good. But for someone else, maybe they won't care much about that. Something else might be more important to them. And the last one in the SMART goals is T, which is timely or time measured, meaning that you want to make sure you set the goal in a way that you can measure it or decide if you got there or not. So with the books, it was very easy. Um, with weight, if you say, I want to lose a certain amount of pounds, say what the date is. If you want to cut back on your smoking, how many do you want to start smoking by when or when do you want to quit completely? You want to make the goal time measured. So there's some way to know. So that's setting a smart goal. Unfortunately, people set goals that aren't very smart. So they'll say, oh, I want to get in shape, as I said before. Or, you know, I want to cut back on smoking. Well, what does cut back mean? How do you know you've achieved it or not? Or I want to spend more time with my family, which, of course, is a very good goal. And I think many of us would benefit from that. But what would that look like? It's a lot easier to say, I'm going to spend three hours every night with my family no matter what. And I'm going to keep track of that. That is easy to measure, but more time, I'm not sure exactly what that means or what that looks like. So that's why it's important to set SMART goals. Now, it's also important, as I was saying during the description of the different uh, parts of the SMART goal, to feel excited about your goal. So think about what you want to achieve this year. And again, we choose New Year's for some reason. People love to set goals then, but you can do it at any time. There's never a bad time to set a goal. And I'm not a firm believer that you have to do it for New Year's. Uh, sometimes actually we feel forced to do it and that's not going to work. So make sure it's something that me makes sense to you right now. But reflect on yourself. What would you like to achieve? What What's in your life that you don't like? Or what would you like more of in your life? And we can go through different aspects of your life from um, education and knowledge and learning to fitness and health to romantic relationships to family relationships to work and career and you could look at the different aspects of your life and say what is it that i would like to achieve what are things that i could do and if i did do i would feel good about and would make me feel good about what i have accomplished because when you look at any goal at the beginning it can seem insurmountable when it's big but we know that it takes small steps to get to any goal and any goal that's worth attaining is going to be difficult to attain. So close your eyes and even reflect on that. What do I want to achieve? And then also once you think of your goals and you've written them down, it's important to visualize what it will feel to get there. This can help you as well. So if it's, let's say, about your education and finishing your degree, imagine yourself at your graduation. Imagine who you see in the audience who's there to see you? How do you feel in your cap and gown on stage? How does it feel when they say your name over the loudspeaker and you go grab your degree? Get into as much detail as you can about what your goal is and how it will feel in every way that you can to get yourself excited about it. Because if you're not excited about your goal, and if your goal is in any way challenging, then you're not going to achieve it. Because any goal is going to take at sometimes doing the more difficult thing, or not sometimes, lots of times. Again, using the studying analogy, sometimes you want to relax and have fun, but you need to study, 
or your friends are going out and you're going to have to study or you have to cancel plans or not go on a trip or do something because you have to, again, study or do your hard work. Or if you want to get in shape, you're going to not want to go to the gym, but you're going to have to go anyway, or you're going to want to eat something and you're going to have to pass it up. And if you're not excited about achieving your goal, then you're going to give in to temptation or give in to the easier thing more often than not. So you have to get yourself excited about the goal. Now, another helpful factor in achieving your goals is having people that will keep you accountable. Now, we'd all like to think, I have such great willpower that I should be able to achieve it on my own. And sometimes you can. But we know you're more likely to succeed if you have someone who's going to keep you accountable. If you have a gym buddy that you have to meet at the gym at 6 in the morning, you're more likely to be there than if you try to tell yourself, go to the gym tomorrow at 6 a.m. Or again, using my own uh, experience with reading these books, one of my easiest or one of the things that made it easiest for me to accomplish that goal was the fact that I had you, the listener, who I knew I had to read the book and be ready to talk to at the end of the next week. So I knew I had to have the book done, and that definitely lit a fire that made me push myself and make sure I had each book done. And I don't think I could have done it without all of you, without knowing that I was accountable to you to finish the book and talk about it. And that definitely made it a lot easier for me. So if you do have a goal that's important for you, think of the people, the loved ones who are close to you who can help you in achieving that goal. First of all, by keeping you accountable, so tell them what you want to do, but then also how they can help you, how can they support you. So you can tell them, you know, every Monday morning, I want you to check in on me about this. Or, you know, I'm trying to achieve this goal, so can we twice a week do whatever it is? Go with, go for a walk with me twice a week, or however it may be. Don't think you have to accomplish your goals alone. We have this idea of willpower, that it's this thing that people either have or they don't have. And that's not the way willpower works. We, we have willpower. We have the ability to, to make the more difficult decisions, to put off the instant gratification. But it's not some unlimited resource that we have and we can all use perfectly. So it's not about having it or not. It's about we all have it to a degree, but we all need support and help and resources. No one is supposed to achieve any big goal on their own. And really, no one has achieved anything that's that great all by themselves. There's that African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Meaning that if you really want to accomplish something big, you're going to need the help of other people around you. Are you going to do most of the, the work? Yes, most likely you're going to do almost all of the work. But still, that support is what's going to help you cross the finish line to get to where you want to be. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Again, we, we think of help or asking for help as a weakness. But sometimes the strongest thing you can do is to ask for help. If you are trying to cut back on smoking to be healthier for yourself and for your children, is it weakness to ask for help to make you more likely to achieve your goal? Or is it actually weakness to have too much pride to ask for help and actually hurt yourself and those around you? To me, it's much weaker to think I'm going to do it all by myself out of a selfish desire and out of my pride to think I'm not going to need anyone else and then to hurt myself and those around me. So asking for help is not at all a sign of weakness. It's a sign that you're taking yourself and your goals seriously, that you want 
to get there and you want to make sure you do everything you can to get there. If you look at some of the people who've accomplished great things, you'll see that they were very good at asking for help, seeking out experts in whatever the field or area was to help them to get to their goals. So I hope all of you will reflect on that coming into the new year. And again, even if you don't do it now, do it again later on to think about what do I want to change in myself? What new things can I imagine for myself? And know that you do have the power to accomplish those goals. Even if you've tried something a hundred times and failed a hundred times, you can succeed the hundred and first time. So many people have experienced that. I use already smoking. They've tried to quit smoking so many times, but then they finally did. Almost everyone who has quit smoking failed many times before they finally succeeded. So don't buy into that self-doubt that I haven't been able to do it yet. That means I can't do it now. That's absolutely not true. And you have to get that thought out of your head. Just like Edison made thousands of mistakes before he built a light bulb, he didn't say, I failed a thousand times. He said, I found a thousand ways to not make it work. So he realized it was all in the path of getting to that success. So think of what you've done so far, not as failures, but as learning experiences towards achieving your goal. And think big, uh, write down your goals, think about them, get help, get support from those around you, and see what you can accomplish Imagine yourself being proud of yourself for what you've accomplished because you deserve it. You deserve to give yourself that. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller, Radio Hamra. You're on the air. Uh, hi, thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, great. Um, I just want to ask you quickly. Uh, I'm a mother of uh, 18 years old daughter mm-hmm. who is uh, who's doing self-harm. Okay, self-harm. And, and how is she doing that? Cutting. She's cutting, okay. And it uh, started when she was in the middle school, and oh, when it happened, I just opened the door and I saw her, she was doing it, and I didn't know what was happening mm-hmm. and why, so uh, it was very hard for me. I'm sure. And, um, and tried to set up an appointment for counseling, and talk to her. She never ever say why. Mm. And she ran from a uh, uh, counseling station and hiding bathroom when she was in the middle school because she thought that uh, everybody's going to say I'm a good mom and she's a horrible child. So she got that impression from counseling that uh, everybody's going to talk bad about her. So. Times hmm. went on, and uh, I thought she stopped, and I kept asking her, do you do you do it? She said, no, I stop, I stop. And she started, uh, she was wearing long sleeves and long pants, mm-hmm. and she was hiding it, and I didn't know how could I check her every minute, every second. 
and she would never talk to me or respond or anything. She didn't want to talk about it. So uh, after uh, a few years, I saw her arms was uh, uh, was cut. Mm. It looks like a cut, very mm. bad. And uh, I asked her again. She didn't want to talk about it, and uh, didn't want to say why and what she's using. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And. I'm just kind of to the point that I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. She's refusing to go to counseling. She refused to talk to me. Uh, she's very angry all the time with me. And um, uh, I saw her arms and she marked that fat. Uh, she cut it away. She, she, cut, she cut the word fat into her arm? Yes. Hmm just the same place that she was cutting before mm-hmm. and I kind of suspected a few times when I asked her what happened she said well this is from before this is the old one mm-hmm. now and I knew what something yeah. new yeah, I, mean, what, I don't know what to do right I'm, now I can imagine yeah that's not an easy situation to be in that's very very difficult um, and I can understand your pain and also your confusion or uncertainty of what to do and I'll just say a few comments and then we'll get into the specifics with your daughter. But just so people may be hearing you and they hear cutting and they might not even know what that is. Uh, but cutting is when people literally will cut into their skin to the point of bleeding to, in a way, release pain, usually emotional pain. Oftentimes they say they can't, uh, they don't know how to express it in any other way or even they have a hard time feeling it. But in feeling the physical pain, they somehow feel their emotional pain also there are endorphins that can be sent out because of the physical pain so it can give this a good feeling in a way a feeling of relief that they seek Um, it's also there's a culture related to cutting it's a very big thing but i also want to mention that cutting is not the same as suicide so people oftentimes think because cutting makes them think of someone cutting let's say their wrists and slitting their wrists to kill themselves that if someone cuts they have to be suicidal can there be a connection? Yes, because people who are cutting tend to be severely um, distressed, very depressed, maybe anxious. They're going through a lot. So there can be a connection. But I don't want parents listening to think if they see that their child cuts, they necessarily have to be suicidal. That being said, we always want to take it seriously and look at what's going on and get some help. But I want people to know that distinction that cutting does not mean suicide. We want to be aware that it can mean a lot different things. Sometimes it's because people feel like people don't see my pain and I want to see a physical manifestation of it. And that's why there's differences between some people who hide their cuts and some people who show them. And that has a whole bunch of things related to it as well. And it seems like with your daughter, she's shown them to you in some ways before or you've catched, caught glimpses of them, but she tends to hide them from you, correct? Correct, yeah. Okay. Now, one thing I'll say is, As I can understand, you obviously don't want your daughter to do this. That I can get, which makes complete sense. But in the way you even describe your interactions with her very briefly with to me right now, there is a theme of almost interrogation or the way you're asking her comes on very strong. So rather than creating a conversation where there can be a back and forth, it seems a lot more it's like you need to stop this now and you better not be doing it, even if you don't use those words. And that's going to make it more likely for her to hide them. So we want to accept that 
this is really what's happening. I know it's hard to accept that and hard to acknowledge that, but we have to recognize this is what's going on and that it's a reflection of some deeper pain inside. And that's where you need to connect to, is to connect to her pain. She's very clearly telling you, I don't feel okay. And of course, by cutting fat into her arm, that means she doesn't feel good about her body and how she looks amongst maybe many other things. And so rather than focusing on just the behavior of cutting, I would want you, and first of all, when you talk to her about cutting, try not to make it seem like it's a very negative thing. Not that I'm saying it's good, but don't make her feel ashamed about it because that's something that comes with cutting a lot of times is the shame that can come with it. And if you make her feel more ashamed, she's going to feel more the desire to hide it from you because she knows it's a shameful thing. So you want to actually, even when I've worked with some teenagers before, you ask them to show me the cuts and they'll, they'll show it to you. And you kind of, not that you don't care, but you don't want to react in horror to just say, okay, this is what they are. You don't have to hide them from me. They're not something I'm afraid of, or I hate, or I think makes you bad or not good in any way. I want to see them because I want to understand you. So you want to try to give her that feeling. Now, I'm not saying force her to show you, but if she does, you want to make sure you don't react in horror or react in a way that makes her feel mom hates this about me or mom is embarrassed or ashamed about what I am doing. So you want to be very careful about that. But as I was saying before, your job is going to have to be to connect to her pain. Where does she, How does she hurt? Because those cuts are a reflection of inner cuts, inner pain that she has. And you want to try to connect to that. And I know we want to get her into therapy. I agree with that. But I wouldn't want you to think of that's my only goal is to force her to go. Your goal is to connect with her, to connect to her. Now, tell me a little bit about the family. What's what's going on? Are you still with her father? What's going on in the home? Oh, well, I think that's that's the main reason it started mm -hmm. because uh, uh, we are divorced and mm -hmm. there was, uh, of course, custody battle and uh, uh, she started not wanting to go to school and I scratched my hand when I was trying to drop her in the school like she was scratching me and, and holding my hand. I don't want to go. Uh, but me not knowing enough that the pain comes from the battle, divorceable mm -hmm. battle. I still don't know, but that's the only guess I have. And uh, uh, she couldn't find enough friends in the school to talk to. So uh, uh, one day I invited one of her friends in the house, and uh, I, I figured out that she was cutting, and maybe she's learning from her. Hmm. Or not? I don't know how did it start. How did she learn? She could do that. She never shared that with me. Um, and also, she started having the pain, which you guys are. It's called psychosomatic. Mm -hmm. She. I've been in the hospital for emergency for about four weeks, back and forth, back and forth. They tried to inject her a lot of pain medication. Mm. I took her to. Um, uh, uh, I took her for a bonus specialist. I took her anywhere I could. Nobody could ever figure out what it was, and nobody ever told me that that could be mentally mm -hmm. and or emotionally. So I just kept that in my mind, wondered that what is happening to her. If that pain medication that is very strong is not affecting her, then 
Now, what is it? And all the x-ray, MRI, nothing is showing nothing. That I recently find that the term, and I look it up, and I learn that it's emotionally that it's affect mm-hmm. your, mm-hmm. Uh, your, you know, yeah. uh, your physical affecting your emotional uh, well-being. Yeah, um, and especially it's the emotional not being able to be expressed anytime the body is 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 expressing our emotions. It means we're, we aren't able to express them and. You described the divorce being very difficult and there's a custody battle. And unfortunately, a lot of times what happens in those kinds of divorces, the parents get so caught up in things that the child can get forgotten to a certain degree. So she probably, unfortunately, had to learn to deal with her emotions on her own. Is she an only child? Yes. Okay, she's yeah, the this, only one I have. Yeah. Yes. So, so that also means she was really alone in, in the divorce, the way you're describing it to me. You know, when there's a custody battle... No one knows what she was going through except for her. Sometimes at least siblings, they have that connection of, okay, we know what it's like to be kids in this family. She had no one. So she seems very alone and she also seems like she, you know, you said she had a hard time at school making friends on top of that. So she was very alone. So she's expressing a lot of pain. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned something before that she was going to therapy and she got this idea that the therapy was going to reveal that she was the problem and that you were a good mom and she was the bad kid. And you have to make sure that she still doesn't think that's the case. Uh, you know, as I tell lots of parents, a very genuine, heartfelt apology can go a long way in letting the kid know that you recognize they've been through a lot of pain that was not at all their responsibility and that you take responsibility for and that you're sorry about that, that she had to suffer this way. Because, again, what she's telling you with those cuts is, I have deeper cuts inside. I have deeper pain inside than what these physical cuts are. And you have to connect with that. And an apology can be a great way to do that. What's her relationship with her father right now? She's uh, trying to reach out to him all the time, even at Christmas time. And... uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, to ask her for just say hello to her and because she sees everybody's doing things for their kids, but he's not willing to do that, and he's totally ignoring her. Um, although she try, he tried to reach out to her and say, I love you, let's do dinner, let's do lunch, let's do shopping, uh, but she still had that anger mm-hmm. towards him uh, that she was not willing to make the time to spend with him. And um, so, therefore, he had a hard time. If you don't want it, I can't make you. Hmm. So this is a, like a really, really hard feeling because yeah. anytime she was going to his house, he was talking really bad about me while I was at home talking really good things about him. So regardless. Well, that's good. If you were doing that, which I hope you were doing that, but either way, that's what any parent should be doing, not worried about what the other parent is saying or isn't saying your job is just to not that you have to say lots of really really good things about the other parent but definitely not say anything negative and if you do say anything make sure it's positive or neutral that's okay but you know i don't know what you're describing with the father um just something a note for parents you know sometimes your kids after divorce they might or anytime they might pull away from you and you we should never assume that it's the child's responsibility to preserve the relationship it's always the adult's responsibility so right you're... he doesn't understand that he, okay. he thinks that he's is a uh, person culture that you're younger you should respect me you should make the call you should make the effort well yeah. he's supposed to do that she doesn't know any better 
Right. And I, yeah, I definitely disagree with that. But as a matter of, uh, this actually relates to what I was talking about in the first segment very briefly about culture and how sometimes it's hurting us and we have to recognize that. To me, it doesn't make any sense that the, the child is supposed to somehow um, keep the relationship going. You know, she was going through a lot and she was maybe getting some space from him. And now that she wants to connect with him, I would hope that he responds to that openly and allows her to reconnect. She needed some time. She needed to, to deal with that anger, and she probably still has that. But this is only going to make things worse. So I deal with a lot of parents. They come in, and they assume somehow the child is supposed to make things better, which it, it sounds ridiculous to me. It's, it's the parent's responsibility. You're the bigger one. You have a toddler. They're going to yell at you and say, I hate you. You can't say, well, you said I hate you, so now I'm going to be mean to you for a while. It's like, okay, you get that they're three years old. They're trying to deal with some really big emotions that they don't know how to handle. So they say, I hate you, but you are still going to love them and show them love in return. So hopefully right. that will, will help. But I mean, that tells me that she's, she's gone through a lot. Now, one thing I want to talk more with you after the break, but one thing I want you to think about, because um, sometimes with cutting, it's not always the case. There can be physical or sexual abuse that might be related to it. Again, I don't want to... Nothing wanna... like that. Okay. Absolutely not now, nothing that you know of, but I want you to just be aware of that um, because that's something that we find. It's not across the board. It doesn't mean every single case has to involve those things, but that it is something um, to be aware of. So what I want to do is after the break, talk a little bit more about what's going on with her and what you can do to try to help her, okay? Thank you so much. Yes, My pleasure. Know, sure. Yeah, thank you so much. All yeah. right. We'll be right back with her. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lokwi. We'll be right back. back let's go back to the caller we were with before the break caller are you still there yes i am okay so you're talking about your daughter who's 18 years old and who's been um cutting since middle school and then recently you saw that she was still doing that and trying to figure out what to do and i'll, I'll reiterate what i said before the break sometimes there is a trauma that you might not know about again i don't want you to assume that there is but i just want you to keep that in mind. So where where do things stand with you and her right now when it comes to this? What's the latest conversation you guys have had? Well, I just, um, the only time that she's really physically led me to get close to her, um, it's like when I try to give her a massage and she really loves that. Mm -hmm. So I tried to give her a massage and uh, I, I saw everything, what was going on. And uh, see the new cut. And um, right now, our relationship, she's always, always, always mad at me and um, angry, very angry. And uh, don't know what to do. Okay. Have you, asked, have you ever asked her why she's angry with you? Uh, she always thinks I don't love her, which I went through all the battles for the divorce, all quitting my job, leaving my job because make sure that she's okay with it. 
everything <laughs> at home. But she just mentioned a lot of things like, well, I was in a, a nurse office in the school. You were at work. You didn't come in 15 minutes. took you hour to get to my school to pick me up. You never care. Uh, while well, my job was far away. And mm. 15 minutes in nurse office to me was safe while I had to keep my job, which I had to lose it because going through the court and uh, many other things just because of her. I mean, well, but she thinks I don't love her. Yeah. So now, you know, even hearing you, you, you just, the way you even said it at the end, you might not like even hearing this, but there was like a childlike part in how you were saying it. And I understand that you've gone through a lot. I'm sure it's been very difficult, but it doesn't mean your daughter hasn't. So to say, I went to court because of you means that you can't say what you went through was difficult isn't fair. And it wasn't her choice for you guys to get married and to get to have her and to get divorced. So I know you went through court, quote unquote, you're saying because of her, but it's not like it was her choice or she somehow needed you to do that or wanted you to do that. That was the circumstances. And again, more it's on you and her father than on her, on her, or actually none of it's really on her. So when she tells you something she's heard about or upset about, we have to recognize also, as I just mentioned, there's a childlike part of you that it's oftentimes coming from a childlike part of her. I was in the nurse's office and I wish you were there. Now, maybe you couldn't be there. Maybe it really was impossible. I don't know all the circumstances. But what you want to do is rather than going back to defending yourself, this is again where I'm talking about connecting with her pain, going to her. See, I could yeah. see how you wish I was there. I could see how you wish that I could have been there to, to be there for you, support you, whatever it was, to recognize that. But you were, you were defending yourself. You were putting yourself in a courtroom and saying, I'm not guilty rather than hearing her pain. So that's what I want you to focus on. And I, I get, that's something that because of that story you just shared, more than likely you bring that into other aspects as well. This idea that you can be preoccupied with your own guilty feelings and because of that not want to accept or acknowledge or even see her pain because seeing her pain is going to make you feel guilty. But you have to accept that everything you guys have went through was very difficult and your daughter was harmed. She was hurting and that's why she's hurting herself. And you have to accept that part, accept that this pain has happened, that you have played a part in it. Doesn't mean you're necessarily a bad mom or that you're a bad person at all, but it means that you were a part of that pain and you have to accept that in order to connect with her. But if you're not willing to accept that, you'll never be able to connect with her about her pain. Well, I don't put it on her to say it's your fault. I said, I fight for you to mm -hmm. take you because I want you to be with me and I love you. Right. But you're focused. I, I, no, I understand. Where you live. I get it. But you're focusing more on who's to blame or who's guilty or not guilty rather than the pain. The hurt is there. We're foc I, I'm saying focus on the hurt rather than, look, I didn't do anything wrong. Because that's, again, making it about you, not about her. So she's coming and saying, Mom, this hurts. And you're saying, well, I didn't do anything wrong. But she's talking about how it hurts. Right. You're right. So what can I do to help her? How can I reach out to her? Yeah. How can I help her to... Is it any way that she can stop? Well, so the few things. So it's going to be a process. So, you know, you've probably interacted with her a certain way for about 18 years. And to change that, you have to be ready. It's going to take time. And it's going to take time for your relationship with her to evolve. So you have to be patient first and foremost. But what, what we really want you to do first is to really come to terms with your own feelings about what's going on. You really have to understand everything you're going through to 
get to a calm place to then be able to talk to her. Because if you go in with these feelings of guilt, if you go in with this feeling of extreme anxiety about what she's doing, then you're not going to be able to have a productive conversation where she's going to feel comfortable with you. Because you have to be ready that this is going to be very, very difficult for her to talk to. And that even the first times you try to talk to her about it, she might not respond. She might even get mad at you or she might storm out or she might say, stop bothering me or stop asking me. And you have to be patient and recognize this is going to be a process. I'm not going to stop it today or tomorrow, but I'm going to try to create a relationship and create a bridge with her that eventually will lead to that. Okay. Um, and I wouldn't just focus on the cutting because like I said, there's something underneath. There's the pain that we're talking about. So even if she stopped cutting, maybe she would turn to drugs or something else. The pain wouldn't go away just because she stopped cutting. So that's where your focus is the pain. And a big part of that is what I was just saying. You have to accept and acknowledge that she has a lot of emotional pain. But I feel that when I say that, you focus back on, but I didn't do anything wrong. And that's that's not what we're talking about here. She's she's in pain. That's what you need to focus on. So when I focus on her pain, how would I do that? How can I take the pain away from her? But see, that's 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 where you get yourself in trouble. How do you take it away? We're not talking about taking it away yet. Or how can I solve her issue or, or try to that's, But again, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's the problem. Not, you don't have to fix her problem yet. You have to connect to the pain, not take it away. Someone says, I hurt. Someone, you know, imagine someone's calling you from another state and they say, I bumped my leg. You can't do anything, right? If I call you from a different state, say, oh, I just bumped my leg. But you can say, oh, I could understand that hurt, right? That's what I want you to do is to understand her pain and show you you get it. But you're, again, the feeling you're giving me is that because you can't tolerate her pain, because it makes you feel guilty, that all you're focused on is just removing it. And when we focus so much on removing pain, unfortunately, what it also leads to is us denying the pain or tr not wanting to see when it's there. So, so you like acknowledge her pain. Yes. So she says, Mom, I'm really sad. I'm really mad at you. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've done a lot of things wrong that have hurt you, that have made you mad. And I want to understand them and talk to you about them. But don't tell her, but I didn't do anything wrong. Everything I did was for you, which is the idea I get of something you might say. Everything I've ever done was for you. I tried to make things the best I can, which again is getting away from guilt, getting away from blame. You want to focus on her pain. Just, mom, it really hurt me when you did that. And let's say you had no other choice but to do what you did. I want you to say, I can understand how that hurt you. Can you tell me more about that? How did it make you feel? I'm sure that was so hard for you. I can't even imagine what it was like for you to go through the divorce. But I feel like you sometimes are focused on how you had to go through so much in the divorce, which I'm sure you did, that you missed the part that your daughter had to go through even more and she was a kid going through all of that. You, you weren't the biggest victim of the divorce. Your child was. Well, um, for me, few days ago, I found a bottle of the pills in her, uh, her purse. And um, when I asked her, she said her boyfriend was in pain because he's standing up so much in his job. So he, she was trying to help him to get rid of the pain by giving one of the painkillers to him. That's, that's, not, said, that's really all, concerning. What, what, what kind of pain medication is it? Uh, one of the pain medication that... Um, uh, she got when uh, she was uh, she was in a hospital, okay. and they tried to give it to her to get rid of the pain. Yeah, that's and, that's uh, that's uh, concerning. Whether whatever she's doing, I mean, first of all, just giving her boyfriend pain medication is concerning. But I wouldn't 
Not that I want you to accuse her of lying, but we want to be concerned about that because, of course, you can take painkillers recreationally or to cope with pain. So, again, I want you to recognize she has pain. She's trying to think of how to deal with it. Cutting is one way she's coping. Pain medication might be another, both of which we don't want her to continue. And we have to first accept her pain and allow her to express it because she's trying to deal with it on her own, and it's not working. So I don't know... Is this she really telling me the truth or she was trying to do something to herself, take the pills, or I don't know the difference. And uh, we, yeah, that. and I, I wish I could tell you, and I don't know. You can actually talk to her about it, but what you have to be careful is when you talk about it, because I know even you were tearing up talking to me, and I, I know it's very painful, so I'm not saying I don't want you to have emotions about it. But if you ask her about these things and you start crying, again, it's going to be about you and not about her. So she won't tell you the truth. She's just going to get try to get you to stop crying. So if you do talk to her about these things or about the pills and you are concerned, first really come to a good place where you can have a calm conversation with her. I'm not seeing being cold and detached. Of course, you're going to have emotions. But if you open the conversation with a lot of your own feelings, she's just going to try to shut you off because she doesn't want to f- deal with that. You have to so say... It's yes. not about my feelings. Talk about... Absolutely. And as a parent, that's, you know, uh, I hope that's not something new to you. Your feelings don't really matter very much when it comes to your interactions. You have to be aware of them. They matter in that way. But again, a child can tell you, I hate you. You're the worst mom in the world. And you have to be able to take that. Not going to say you don't care. Of course, you're going to care. But you can't react with that. You can't be like, oh, yeah, well, I did this and this for you, you know. Or as Persian moms say, I breastfed you for this long. How dare you say, I'm, you know, I didn't do anything for you. You know, they go to some place and they have a real conversation about something that is coming from an emotional place. So you have to be able to handle her emotions, her feelings, um, and, and realize that it's about her. And I think what I'm feeling from you is that you've also been through a lot. I'm not trying to undermine that. And I think maybe you've had a hard time dealing with it. And because of that, you're still dealing with your feelings. So you don't have the space to deal with hers. So if she won't go to therapy, I'd say you start therapy today. Go now. Because first of all, it'll help you even in dealing with her. But even in just dealing with your own feelings, you'll be able to handle her feelings more. But right now... That's what she said. She said, Mommy, you need to see someone. Yeah. I, I agree with it. Tell, yeah, you're right. Again, for several reasons, on top of what I already said, that it also models that going to therapy is okay and it's not bad and that you're not the problem. I see that we this is a whole problem that we're dealing with together because a lot of parents, they say, I try to get my kid to go to therapy and they won't go. And then sometimes they'll bring their kids to me and the kid says, I think it's unfair that I'm here because I think my mom or dad has problems too and they make me come here. That doesn't feel fair. So I think if you go to therapy and tell her, I think that would be great. For multiple reasons, not just to show her as a display, but actually because you will help yourself too. Because what I'm hearing from you is you have a hard time dealing with your emotions. And if you have, uh, if you're overflowing with your own feelings, there's no space for hers. And you need to create that space for her or else she'll never be able to actually express and share her pain with you. And you'll never actually be able to help her. And all you'll be able to do is try to put band-aids on her feelings or try to make them disappear, which doesn't work. There won't exactly. be a space for that's that connection. Yeah. Can I tell you the name of the meditation? It's okay. I was just, I just wanted to know. Yeah, sure. If you want to, yeah. It's uh, cyclobenzapine. Okay. I don't even know what that is, but that sounds more like an anti-anxiety maybe. But nonetheless. It's, it's for pain and muscle. Um, oh, muscle relax. relax. Okay. Prior 2015. Okay. Yeah, that that's for multiple reasons a problem. It shouldn't be taken anyway. It's expired for over two years. Um 
So I would, you know, that could be a way to connect with her about the medication to say, I got concerned about that. Again, don't jump into, I think, I don't know if you're lying or that, just say, I got concerned about that medication. But I would say, like I said, you need to go to therapy immediately. I hope she goes too. She really, it seems that she deserves to go to therapy. She needs it, but you need to focus on yourself and help yourself because you're not going to be able to help her if you're not okay. And that's just, you know, for everyone listening to remember that if you're not okay, you can't help someone else. And right now I don't feel that you are okay with everything that's happened and everything you're going through. And as a result, you uh, can't help her the way that you, you, you really need to be there for her. She has indicated a few times and left me a note that I'm depressed. Mom, I'm really, like, depressed. And she stay up till uh, 3 or 4 a.m. And she sleeps at daytime. And yeah. uh, it concerns me because I don't know if it's a teenager stay up late or she's really depressed. But hold on, but she told you I'm very depressed. Yeah, she has okay, so listen to that part. And then, yeah, the sleep does sound... Yeah, kids do... Teenagers do sleep at kind of more odd times. But when she says, I'm depressed, what what's your response to that? Well, it's a let's see someone. Yeah, but see, that's... Oh, again, see, you're around. trying to take it away. You need to connect with... Just, I'm depressed. Like, really? Oh, like, what's going on? Let's talk. But you're just trying to take it away and not... You tell, you're even telling her, I can't deal with it. I'm going to have someone else fix you. I... And that's, that's the worst thing I feel like parents do is they tell their kids, you're a problem to be fixed rather than I want to have a good relationship with you. So when she tells you I'm depressed, that's your, she's telling you, mom, I'm hurting. And you're saying, go, go tell this other guy about it or go tell this lady about it. That's not what she needs from you. But how can I fix her depression? No, exactly. Fix. You got to take that word fix out of your vocabulary. So how can I help her? Okay. How can I, first you have to be there with her, be there with her depression. When she says I'm depressed... Tell me about it. I want to hear about it. Not And then when she tells you, because my friend this, don't say, jump, okay, do this with your friend, or don't be friends with her, or do that. Understand it. You're only supposed to understand her. You're not supposed to fix anything when you talk to her. Just have a conversation about understanding. And then eventually, yes, you can explore options with her. But the first part of it should have no advice from you, no solutions from you, just a connection to the pain. Okay. And, um, sure, she's, um, also she has a boyfriend that has, um, ADHD and, um, a mom who has criminal records and, um, uh, she spent a lot of money on him, mm -hmm. the money that she works hard for and stay overnight with him. And I want to know, to me, it's not okay, but I want to know, is it okay? Because it seems like she has the only place to go. Mm -hmm. It's him. Well, I don't know. He's not a fit to me. Well, you know, she you can't choose who she's going to be with, but I can see exactly. how you're concerned. Um, but again, if you create more space for her in your home, she won't want to leave as much. So you can't force her to stop seeing him. You can, you can make rules that, you know, you can't spend the night places, although I'd say make those with her, don't make them in a punitive way. But if you have a better relationship with her, she won't need to seek as much. She'll still need other people because of her age, but I'm saying she'll get more from you. But right now she can't get as much from you. And you seem like you're dealing with so much yourself that maybe she's trying to get away from you too. You're suffering yeah. as well. 
And that's what I'm saying. Take better care of yourself if you want to take better care of her. It, it, your situation's not an easy one, I understand, but I want you to see that without making some pretty significant shifts, things won't get better. But again, take that word fix out right now. Focus on the relationship. Your job is to have a relationship with your daughter, not to fix her problems. Just be close to her so she can open up and talk about it, basically. And connect with her. And not again, not just not do that so it fixes them, but your your role is to connect with her. You have to have a relationship with her. You have to not deny her pain. You have to make sure that when she says she's sad or hurt about what happened, you don't take it personally and you don't try to defend yourself. You just stay with her pain. I could see, of course, that hurts. The divorce we had was ugly. We didn't make it easy for you. Not, I was doing everything I could. I did it all for you. That's not the place to go. The place is to stay with her pain. Stay with her pain as long as you can. And then what would be my second step after I come back? You do that and then give me a call once you've done it in about however long it takes you. Eventually, she'll need help, but making right now your relationship with her needs help, and that's where you can control. You can't force her to go to therapy, but you can create a better relationship with her. So stay with her pain. Be a source of support for her, not a fixer. You're not going to fix her problems, but you're going to connect with her, and you're not supposed to fix everything. And like I said, go to your own therapy because you're carrying a lot of guilt and anxiety and things about everything that don't allow you to have space for your daughter's feelings. And then if I want to find out what is really eventually what is going on, if it's, I don't know, somebody says she might be bipolar, she might be depressed, she might have this. How would I figure out if she is or not? Well, or she, unless she eventually wants to see someone, you, you won't ever know. Um, so, you, But you have to create a relationship with her and a comfort. And again, if she, it comes to therapy, as I always say, rather than saying you need it, tell her she deserves it because I don't want her to think she's a problem. But when exactly. you connect with her pain, you recognize, gosh, you're hurting so much. You deserve to feel better. You deserve help. That's where I want you to focus on. So, and again, you're not supposed to fix her problems. So you focus on the relationship. I hope you'll call back in a little bit. Give me an update how things are going and we can talk some more. Okay. Thank you so Best much for luck to you. Um, your help and your time. My I pleasure. Nice talking that. to you. Take thank care. You. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we reach our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. back let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air yes hi dr farid thank you so much for your time My i always pleasure. find you so helpful thank, thank you, so you. Much. appreciate that thank you very much um i'm basically calling i hope my voice is coming okay and clear the louder um, the better but yeah it's pretty it's it's not bad yeah okay um i'm a i have a 22 year old son and uh 19 year old daughter i'm a single mom i've been raising them since they were five and eight and, when you say raising uh, them, sorry, you, what do you mean by raising them since they were five and eight? Raising door. them alone. Alone, okay, got it. single mom. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what has been happening with my 22-year-old son, he's had uh, ADD since he was a uh, young, you know, toddler, and so he's on a medication for ADD. 
And um, the issue with him is that I find him um, to be very irresponsible when it comes to money, meaning that he can just blow like ten thousand dollars in a you know very quickly. And um, ten thousand dollars doing what? Yeah. Uh, when he was in high school, I mean, doing very like not nothing bad. It's just like, um, you know, he came across you know ten thousand dollars because of some um, case that he won, medical case that he won, and uh, his dad actually gave him all that cash to himself, you know, because he was eighteen and the lawyer gave him the money when he was like less than eighteen years old. I mean, no, he was eighteen years old. Sorry, so. Anyways, um, that happened, and then um, he went to, he's going to a culinary school, and uh, because he wasn't doing well, um, he actually had to get, he got suspended, he got kicked out for a year. So he was working, and um, the only, the the issue that I have with him is that, um, is the money. Uh, He comes to me for help for money. Because I don't have a good communication with his dad, his dad never answers my calls or any of my texts. So he kind of has been throughout these years. He's been using uh, both sides to take to get money, mm-hmm. uh, and he's a big time spender. And um, now I'm at a I'm at a point that I'm thinking: Where do you draw the line as far as helping your kids with money and um, for example, what happened in his school, he got some refunds back from um, his financial aid, and he didn't even tell me um, mm-hmm. because I had to borrow some money, my, some money from my 401k in order to help him pay for some of the classes because he wasn't doing well. I had to pay for it because financially he wouldn't pay, and his dad said he doesn't have any money, so I had to bail him out basically. Uh, taking money out and paying for all of that. Okay. So, you know, you're already expressing some things your son's doing that are definitely concerning. There's the manipulation, the lying. Um, We might be dealing with more than just ADHD. You know, it could be that's getting him into trouble. But, you know, to answer your question of how much to help, there isn't like a certain number I can give you. But you do have to be aware that it seems like he's not facing consequences for his actions. And that can be a problem because he's basically learning that he can get away with anything and he'll get bailed out by you. Um, and that's not okay. So you have to be aware of that, that it's not just helping means helping someone get further along. Helping doesn't mean saving them from facing consequences that doesn't allow them to learn from what's happening. So right. he, he might have to, to fall a few times and you might have to let him. Yeah, that, that's what happened to him. We thought that, you know, him being uh, kept away from school for a whole year, and he went and worked. Um, he's always been good at, you know, made, uh, finding a job, making money. Um, but he has been terrible in actually um, keeping the money. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, but, and then what I'd say from you is that you have to set limits with him. So he can't just spend whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and then you give him more and just say, "Uh, uh, uh, you spent too much, but here's more, because that doesn't work. You have to let him know there's limits, and he's not going to like them. He's going to fight against them. He's going to have 
he's going to resist it. He's going to manipulate in ways. He's going to say, oh, but this is for something and make you feel guilty about it mm-hmm. or something yeah. I need. Right. So he's going to pull out all the stops to make you give him more. And it seems like he uses guilt to get you to give him what he wants. Exactly. And exactly. you have to, you have to get, come to terms with that, that it's, um, you know, he's using that to his advantage, but that you, you shouldn't feel guilty for not giving him everything he wants. Cause that's not what a parent is supposed to do anyway. Yeah, that, I mean, that's one thing that kind of uh, really upset me with him was mm-hmm. um, was that um, he was he was asking for my help to pay for one of his classes that he has to go in January. I had to pull extra money out of my retirement and to pay for that. And he turned around. He said, oh, you I said, I said, this is the last time I'm helping you. And he turned around and he said, no, you offered to help me. I don't, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he meant, but one thing I'd be careful of, one thing that struck me in what you said is this is the last time I'm going to help you, which to me sounds like an empty threat. And you have to be careful about that because someone like him, he's going to pay attention to the things you're saying. And if you give him, quote unquote, give him your word, but you break it, now your word means nothing. And right. so the quote unquote last time I'm going to help you isn't the last time. So next time you'll have another last time and then another last time. And he knows it never means anything. So you have to mean what you say. Out of your anger, don't just say something to him. But it seems like what I'm also concerned about is that there's a, a slight, there's a narcissistic and almost like an antisocial quality to what he does. It doesn't seem like he really cares about who gets affected because you're pulling money out of your retirement to pay right. for his class. And I don't think you should go to that extent. If he's not pulling his own weight, He, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing those things and sacrificing. There's almost a, a codependent relationship you also have with him. So if yeah. you haven't already read the book Codependent No More, I would recommend that. It's by Melody oh, Beatty. Oh, trust me. I have gone to the support group and okay, I called good. another time. I know I have that issue. You know, but I'm trying to be aware of it. Like that one time we all went, me and my daughter and him, we went to dinner. And afterwards he said, oh, I need a haircut. I need a haircut. I said, okay, you can go ahead and get your haircut. And he's just like looking, can you come with me? And I knew the reason he was asking me to go with him so that I would pay for it. Mm-hmm. So I said, no, I think you're 22 years old. You should be able to go and get your hair cut. But deep, deep down inside of me, there was that feeling of, again, like you said, guilty feeling. Like, yeah. So where do, you, where do we think this guilt comes from? What do you feel bad about, in, in, whether it's the marriage or divorce? Where do you think there seems to be a deep-seated guilt that you take um, on more than you when should? He was, when he was 16 years old, because him and my daughter were not getting along, they were three years apart, and they were fighting, and, you know, I, it, it got to a point that I felt like my daughter is being um, bullied by him when I'm not around. Mm-hmm. So I asked his dad to take him, and, um, you know, so he could live with his dad. And he's like, he was like within five or ten minutes from my house. It wasn't like it was far. Um, but... You know, he kept saying, yeah, you kicked me out of the house, you kicked me out of the house. And he, to this day, sometimes he brings it up, and that is very, very hard for me to hear. Yeah, which I can understand. Now, uh, two things. You have to see if you can get forgiveness from him, but also it seems like he's using that just to, to use it against you anytime he wants. But also you have to forgive yourself for what you did. Do you think that was the wrong thing to do? I felt like my daughter was... You know, getting depressed, being in her room all the time because she said that he was bullying her, hitting her, and I mean, abusing her. Well, that's that's well. I generally don't like 
kids being separated because I think that's a problem, especially in the way that it happened. There was maybe a feeling of rejection he got. But again, I would be more concerned about the behavior that he's physically hitting her and, and assaulting her in those ways that we have to do something about that, that sending him away wasn't going to fix that problem. Um, it was just going to remove it temporarily. But it seems like we're still dealing with that. I, I do have concerns that are bigger than ADHD with him, like I said. Because there's almost an antisocial part to it. Has he gotten any trouble with the law? No. No. No, not at all. Okay. No. Any or um, any? You know, you've talked about the lying in some ways, but any stealing in any way from either you or the, his father? When he was younger, mm-hmm. but like um, how old? Um, I think um, he took money from grandfather's pocket i think i'm i don't quite remember um yeah that's i mean my my, like i said my concern is that you know there there's something deeper going on and that he he doesn't give me how would you say he is as far as caring for other people do you feel a genuine concern extremely caring he is extremely caring caring? okay how does he show that well when you know when um like on mother's day like uh, when he couldn't even drive, you know, he was young, he would go on his bicycle to this grocery store and would buy all this stuff and would, um, you know, put it on his bicycle and drive home and make me dinner. That is very um, sweet. But you're telling me a story from like 10 years ago. But I mean, what about now? Um, recently. I hear these feedbacks from other people as well, that he's very caring. Like, he's very caring to his grandmother. His grandmother has dementia. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we go to visit her, uh, if we show any kind of, like, my mom would say something really off. And then I would, like, say make comments, and he would say, no, don't say that. It's going to make her feel bad. She doesn't mm-hmm. know what she's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's an impulsiveness to him too. Which yeah, so maybe uh, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't necessarily care. Does he go through periods where he like lacks a need for sleep, or he becomes like his mood becomes really elevated? See, he doesn't live with me, so I don't know. Okay, because I'm wondering. Uh, You know, concern I'm having is bipolar disorder. mm. Just the way the. There's an impulsiveness. There's a way he's acting that that's a little bit concerning. So I would be I would be more concerned about bigger picture. But like I said, you have to set firm boundaries with him, and he's not going to like them. So be ready for that, mm-hmm. um, because he's going to want to have what he wants when he wants it, and he's not going to want you to stop him from that. But you're going to have to do that. But then you have to resist your own guilt because he's going to use that every time against you. Mm-hmm. That that again, if a kid wants to stay up late, and you tell them it's time to go to sleep. And then they cry. You're not being a bad parent by getting them to go to sleep on time, even though they're sad. So I want you to remember that, that when he gives you that feeling, if you're doing what's in his best interest long term, he won't like it. And he might even react more strongly, especially because you've given into it before. Be ready for that, a very strong reaction. And maybe he's going to even become more strong in trying to get you to feel guilt or react in a way that you're just going to try to shut him up. But you're going to have to be firm with him. And when it comes to finances, you have to set that up. Because he's going to keep taking advantage of you, and it's not even for his own benefit. It's hurting him. It's like giving more drugs to addicts. You're not helping them. So I, I want you to be aware of that. Has, 
he has issues with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very overweight, I would say obese. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently his cousin is encouraging him to work out and stuff like that. But I feel anxiety is one of his issues. Okay. Um, and he might have been using the eating to deal with the anxiety. Exactly. So I would, you know, I was talking with the previous caller, the same thing is trying to see where his pain is because it seems like he's hurting. And so, yes, I would focus on the, the you know, getting him to, um, to have the boundaries and things like that, but recognize that he has some pain and see if you can connect with him there. Because he seems, maybe he's not doing well. And I'd focus on that, not just the money, but how is he doing deeper right. than that? It seems like maybe even with the money, he's trying to fill something. So I, I would focus on, on, on how he's doing and with the pain rather than just tr- trying to focus on the money itself. But I would set the boundaries, but have conversations with him about what's going on. What, how are you doing? Because he needs some help. He's kind of, he's crying out for it in a way without asking for it. I know that when he was away in uh, school, I found a therapist that he would go to. Okay. Um, but he said after a while, it really didn't help. But Well, I would tell uh, him, you know, the way therapy works is it takes time and it's not something that is going to give you immediate results, but you hope he'll continue. So I'd bring that up with him again, and not because he's, you know, becoming a big problem and say it that way, but think, you know, it'd be good. My, I get the feeling he's, he's hurting really deep down, mm-hmm. and that's what I want you to try to, to try to get to with him. Is that I do have to? I want to get some other callers on the air, so I do have to to let you go and go to commercial break. Okay. But maybe we can call All back right. again and we can talk some more. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, doctor. Nice talking. You take care. Good luck. Nice talking to you. Bye bye. All right. Going into our last commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Doctor Fireglock. We will be right back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes. Yes. Hi, doctor. Hi. Um, uh, I have, um, as, uh, as I said, and, and I know we don't have much time to go to the details. Yes. So if you have any questions, you can ask sure. me. But the problem is that I have with my husband is that he, he really likes to have parties and stuff like that. And, but he's the one that he never, at whatever time we have parties, he would just get up in the morning and just do the same thing as regular. And even though that he thinks that I'm doing this work, that work, and it seems that for him it's a very relaxing day and he sits there playing with his phone or... Uh, doing his own routine, and then uh, a couple of nights ago, we had a guest for Christmas, and uh, he in the morning came, and he did the same thing again, and I, uh, after a while, I watched him to see that, okay, when when is the time that he come and say that you need any help? So he did it, and I said that, okay, are you a guest as well? Yeah, so let me, because you did mention the timing issue, maybe it sounds like you're saying he likes to have parties and have people over, but 
from your side, he doesn't do much to help. Exactly. And you that that upsets you. It, it, it makes me angry. I can understand I, that. I really, and that, and then what, I always tell him that okay, uh, there are so many things, little things that we need to do, and I can't do it all by myself. So when is it that you want to come and ask me? Or all the time I have to. Uh, Whenever I tell him to do something, he always has half time, another time to do it. So he never does it at that time. Okay, so you, okay, and when you bring this up with him, what does he say? He says that, okay, if you have an issue with, with this person or that person, so let me know. I don't know what's your, I mean, like, I never bring up any person's name up. I'm just telling him that, so if we have a guest and you're um, all by myself, why doesn't come to your mind that you need to help? Okay. Now, and one thing I'll one say, you're, you're right. Body. Now, I'll say something about that. You said, why doesn't it come to his mind? Now, you might have to make it come to his mind. And the reason why I'm saying that is lots of times in relationships, we can, one of the mistakes that couples can make or individuals make in relationships is mind reading. We want for our, cup, our partner to read our mind, and that doesn't work. So you have to be very explicit with him and tell him what you need from him, how you want him to help you. But if you want it to come to his mind to help you, he's showing you it's not going to come to his mind. He'll be on his phone, he'll live his regular day, and assume you're going to take care of everything. If you want him to help, you're going to have to very explicitly let him know, look, if we want to have this dinner party in two weeks, I'm going to need this, 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 and this from you. If not, I don't want to have the party, and it won't be taken care of. Even to the point where if he doesn't do those things, don't do them, and have your dinner party not go very well so he sees there's consequences. Now, a lot of times people aren't willing to accept that side because they feel embarrassed about how it's going to look in front of other people. But I'm just letting you know that you have more control over the situation than you're giving yourself. Does that make okay. sense? Now, yeah. And uh, now that, you know, it made me so angry because the comments that he, he makes uh, when I'm uh, particularly, I tell him, what is in my head and what I need, and then he goes to some place that has nothing to do with with the uh, issue, and then that makes me really upset, and then it makes me in a way that I don't want to talk to him because I'm going to get, you know, I don't want to accept my exposure, but he has a way to come and you know, even I have told him that, okay, when I'm angry, don't come around me. Let's talk about it later and when I'm not angry. And then, again, he comes in a time with a comment that, you know, so, okay, now that it was your fault, what are you going to do about it? I, and I'm just, in my head, I it's like, okay, it was, the issue I have with you, now it's my problem, and what am I going to do with it? And this is not a life you want to live. And he goes like, I mean, like, we don't even see each other much. But when he gets 
to this point, it's always like we have argument like maybe twice a year. And then he goes like... Well, I think, but I think that... But it seems to be a, a problem you have is that you're not very close with him. Your relationship isn't very close. So I, you can't expect too much from the relationship if you're not very close with the person. Right, because, no, I mean, like, uh, that, okay, uh, my, my approach to him is that whenever he has issues, I listen to his issues, and I think about it, and then I say that, okay, what you want to do with it, but it seems that whenever I'm angry about something, he always goes to a different way of, like, in, in, my impression is that, okay, now that I, I complained about this, now we have to get a divorce. No, he goes that way. He says that? He doesn't say it, but he just keeps constantly asking me, so what do you want to, to do with this? Because this is not the way we want to live with. I mean, like, okay, I'm telling you, you're not helping me, and I get tired, and then your approach is like that. It makes me angry. And now I have to think that, okay, I sh- either I should not complain and, you know, just do whatever, mm-hmm. or get a divorce. I mean, like, he goes to that extent. Well, but I would you let him know that's not the case. Say, no, look, it's not about divorce. I'm saying I would like to get some help from you. I'm not saying I want to get a divorce from you. So maybe you're right. I, I'm not there when you guys are having these conversations that he tries to manipulate them in some way. But you have to try to bring it back to the issue. Don't get caught up in his game. You say, my issue is you not helping me when we have dinner plans. And then he brings up something and say, no, no, but please, I'd like to talk about this is the issue. You have to keep bringing him back. And maybe he won't accept it, and that's there's nothing I can do to, and you can do to force him. But you have to stand your own ground, and it seems like he gets you riled up, and then you lose sight of what you're trying to do too. So you have to keep your calm because if you don't keep your calm, he's going to win. He's going to know how to push your buttons, and then you get all emotional, and you probably even say things that don't make as much sense as when you were calm, and you kind of lose where you were at anyway, and then he gets out of it. So he doesn't ever have to do that. But when it comes to this, I would stay very specific. Look, if we're having 80 people over, I need you to buy the fruits. I need you to do this. Whatever it is, make a list of things. If you don't do those things, I won't have the dinner party or I won't do those things. And if he doesn't do those things, then just don't do them yourself either. Okay, so there's no fruits at our party or there's no whatever it is. And just let him face that experience. Do you think he would care about that or he doesn't really care? I mean, like, he does care, but my issue with him is that uh, when it comes to, to when, when I ask him or when I tell him that why, you know, do, do this, or so he comes, he turns it around like, okay, there's something wrong with you, so how do you want to fix that? Something wrong with you? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, here's you know. I'm, I'm the one. Yeah. I'm the one. I want to take it to court, and he's the one who's telling me, "Okay, there's something wrong." With yeah. You. Well, you know want, what I'm hearing, what you're saying. I'm just gonna quickly. I wish we had more time to talk, but I have to wrap up yeah. the show. 
I, I always, people ask me about what's an important thing to have in a partner. And one of the most important things is someone who can, who cares about and can think about someone else and puts their feelings even first. And again, I'm only hearing your side of things. He might explain it very differently, but from what you're explaining, he doesn't seem to do that at all for you, which is unfortunate. No, but he, he says that sentence that you said, I always put my partner first. No, I know, but, but, but statements, I know, but. Right. But statements don't mean much to me. Actions are what matters. Everyone says they want to work on their relationship. Everyone says they care about family. Everyone says they care about the good things, but what they do is what matters. So what I'm saying is what you're describing is that he doesn't put you first. Not that he doesn't think it's a good thing. How how can I, after two two days, how can I get back to the, uh, you know, peaceful conversation? Well, well, you you have to bring it up and say, this is something very important to me. And again, I think I feel your frustration. Almost you want me to do something for you that I can't do, which is to get your husband to want to have a conversation with you that he's not having with you. And if he doesn't, that, that puts you in a tough spot. You can't force someone to, but you can tell him, look, this is something very important for me. It would really mean a lot to me if we talk about this. If he says, I don't want to talk about it, it's your problem, it's your issue, there's not much you can do. But I would say at least present it to him as clearly and as importantly as you can. And then see what he does. But you can't control him. But again, I don't get the feeling from what you're describing that he puts your feelings first or even really wants to talk much about them at all. And that's frustrating for you. I can hear your powerless feeling that you're almost wanting me to change something. But And I wish I could, but I can't. But good luck. You know, maybe you can call back and we can talk some more about that. Okay. All sure. right. Okay. Thank Have a good you. New Year. Take I care. appreciate it. Sure. You too. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. All right. So. Happy New Year to everyone listening. Hope you enjoy the holiday. I'll be back next Wednesday. Thank you to Ramon here in the studio. All the callers and listeners out there, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day. 